Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that head. It's a good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. Well, my goodness. Got to the station a little bit more than an hour ago. It's looking beautiful. The sun is shining, and I just was shaken in the station by some thunder a little ago, a little bit ago, and it was downpouring and everything else, so. Drive safely if you're out there in it. We were in Oklahoma the other day, and, you know, people down there, they don't know how to drive (laughs) when it rains. You would think that it was snowing uh, in that part of the country. Glad to have you with us here today. Plenty that we're going to get to. A lot of Notre Dame football talk. Wanted to start with what's going on down at Indiana. And apparently, you know, just kind of looking at some of the yeah, the, the reporters and stuff like that doesn't really seem to come as a surprise, but the university announced today that uh, head basketball coach Mike Woodson is not going to bring back Dane Fife to his Indiana basketball staff next year. And, of course, Fife spent 10 years at uh, Michigan State as an assistant for Tom Izzo. Mike Woodson, a career, pretty much a career NBA assistant coach in his early 60s and uh, you know finally getting an opportunity to come back to his alma mater they put together I, I it sounded like Indiana kind of helped you know put together this staff for Mike Woodson but you know brought in a guy not only with IU ties but also with a long track record of college basketball Fife of course played at Indiana from 1998 through 2002 Again, at uh, Michigan State for 10 years. Prior to that, he was the head coach at uh, what was then IPFW in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The Mastodons. But uh, five, this is one and only year on Woodson's staff. And again, they released a statement today. I'll read it. Uh, This is from Mike Woodson. Quote, I am committed to doing what I believe is best for the continued growth of our men's basketball program. And we collectively work toward returning it to the upper echelon of college basketball. Sometimes that commitment can result in some very difficult decisions, and that is the case today. Ultimately, I believe that the fit must be right with a coaching staff, and I've decided that a change is necessary. I appreciate everything Dane has done as a member of the staff during the last year and as a player for our program. He will always be a part of the Hoosier family, and I wish him well in his future pursuits, end quote. So, again, that is from Mike Woodson on Dane Fife, And, you know, not really a whole lot there to be dissected other than 
the line that says, ultimately, I believe that the fit must be right with a coaching staff. So fit, he wasn't the right fit. And there are a lot of different ways you can go with what exactly that means. But looking at, again, some of the chatter and things that have been kind of coming out of Indiana, you know, the things that that uh, you read say, well, maybe Dane Fife challenged Mike Woodson too much and Woodson didn't want to be challenged and that kind of thing. And again, you're talking about a career NBA guy and a career college coach who's been a head coach in Dane Fife and has been around a lot. He was around a successful program at Michigan State with Tom Izzo and all those different things. What I would say about that, though, if that's what it came down to is Dane Fife challenging Mike Woodson too much. And I didn't watch enough, you know, Indiana basketball on on TV, you know, shots of the bench and things like that. Again, like the reporters and guys who were there, you read some of their stuff. But, you know, so there there was a lot of body language talk and stuff like that. I would just say that this this is my thought on that. An assistant coach, quote-unquote, challenging a head coach. If you, as an assistant, are going to challenge your head coach, I think first and foremost, the head coach better have complete trust in you. He has to trust you. He has to be 100% with you, you know, that kind of thing. You, you, you can challenge the head coach, but there's also a place where you challenge the head coach. You know, do, do you need to be challenging the head coach in front of the team, in front of other staff, those kind of things. If the coach, if the head coach does not have 100% trust and comfort with that assistant, then I think that there is a is a place where he thinks that maybe, you know, if he is being challenged, that 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 challenge is coming from a place um, that is not in the head coach's best interest. I guess if that makes sense. So. It's one thing to challenge, you know, again, if you're the assistant coach and you've got all the experience and Dane Fife and, and everything else, you know, and again, a guy, Mike Woodson, coming back to to college, but this was kind of an arranged marriage. So, again, reading between the lines, when you see this, it doesn't sound like there was a complete, you know, fit between these two guys to begin with. And if that's the case and Dane Fife is openly challenging the head coach, especially if he's doing it, you know, in front of the team, in front of other, wherever it happens to be, out in, out in public again, you know, like just reading some of the stuff that the writers are talking about, then I, I understand that. I mean, it's not Mike Woodson's job to go along with a subordinate on his staff who he doesn't have complete trust with, if, if this is the case. So, you know, Dane Fife, an IU guy, again, he played for IU, back at IU, been around college basketball for a long time, but he will not be part of Mike Woodson's staff going forward. So, interesting. Um, well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, Marcus Freeman, the uh, head coach of the Notre Dame football team. We've got draft uh, pro day coming up for Notre Dame uh, this uh, this Friday. Uh, the Notre Dame. Spring practice, of course, continuing as well in the lead-up to the April 23rd Blue-Gold game at Notre Dame Stadium. And, of course, you will hear the Blue-Gold game right here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. That'll be April 23rd and a 1 o'clock kickoff at Notre Dame Stadium. But uh, Marcus Freeman fielded some questions at uh, the beginning of uh, 
of spring football practice. And one of the things, one of the first things that he talked about is what he wants to accomplish this spring. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of told him this today in the team meeting is that I have a vision and identity I want for our team, and that's to be a team that can run the ball and stop the run, right? I want to, I believe in our O-line and our D-line being the foundation of our team. And so um, I'm excited to see if that can become our identity. That's my vision. Um, I also want to see a team that's aggressive. You know, that's one of our mantras, challenge everything. What does that mean? It means be aggressive. Do not play timid. Do not play scared. Think outside the box offensively and defensively, schematically. Be, be, be okay with taking chances, you know? The, the second thing is it's still based off the golden standard, right? It's that unit strength. And, and I want to see a group of guys that are tough. And how do you become tough? Like, how do you get tougher as you sacrifice for that guy next to you? So I want to see how much this group is going to be willing to sacrifice for each other. And, and the third thing is just the competitive spirit. Like, we have to have a mindset. Every drill, every rep, we got to win. We got to win. And if we don't win, we're devastated. But then the next part of that is, one play, one life. You'll hear me say that all the time. I don't remember what happened the last rep. I don't remember what happened last play. One play, one life, let's move forward. And so that competitive mindset is extremely important, but I want them to focus on each rep. All right, focus on each rep. Run the ball, stop the run, be okay with taking chances. You know, I think we saw some of that with uh, Marcus Freeman's defense last year, especially earlier on. Be tough, get tougher, sacrifice for each other, all those different kind of things as Marcus Freeman builds his first team this spring at the University of Notre Dame, and it is his first spring as a head football coach. I think right now you just focus on go, 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 and recruit and, and lead and, and develop this staff to continue to become closer, develop this team, right? It's, it's we have to focus on becoming a team, right? And, and for so long, I've just felt it's offense versus defense. And offense, no, this is about team, right? We got an offensive team, we got an offense, we got a defense. And everybody wants to be successful, but at the end of the day, we're never going to achieve the goals we want unless we're a team. And so I know that's not the question you asked, but that's where my mind went when you started talking about that. But yeah, at some point, I'll be able to reflect. <laughs> Focus on becoming a Yeah, at some point, I'll be able to reflect. Focus on becoming a team, not offense versus defense. Interesting to hear that as well. You know, and I, I just... I don't think that he's worried about, you know, the first this, first that. You know, the, the way he's had to hit the ground running through this whole thing, taking over, uh, going into to bowl prep, taking over, what, less than a week after the last regular season game. You're still in the hunt for the college football playoff, keeping the team together and unified and everything, and then going out, recruiting, and then having to hire a coaching staff and really having to hire more guys than he thought he was going to have to hire for that matter, and continuing the recruiting, going right into spring, and on and on and on. And I don't think he's had time for thinking about first this and first that and all that different kind of stuff. Maybe that's good, you know, just focusing on the things that matter right now. But this is also this spring, when you think about it, because of all those things that had to be done, the first time that all of these guys have been together, both as, you know, everyone has been together as a team and as a coaching staff, because what is it? You know, three, three and a half, four months ago, it was a completely different, you know, looking set of guys from the guys 
wearing the uniforms to the guys who are coaching him. So it's the first time that the staff and team have been totally together now. Yeah, yeah, there was a relief for that. Um, it was a relief. We've, we've done winter workouts, right, where you can do conditioning without a ball and you can do, like, walkthroughs. But it was, for me, a relief to go practice. Like, there's no restrictions. Go practice. Use a ball. Go full speed. And, and that's, to me, what was the biggest relief. You're out of the winter conditioning part, right? So, so for, from January, February, in March, right? It was about our players and Coach Bayless who did an unbelievable job getting those guys prepared. I mean, their winter workouts were torture, right? But it was that and it was recruiting. It was that and we did some football-specific workouts and recruiting, but now you turn a chapter to football. It's just football. It's spring football time. And so that's exciting for me to turn the page to get to spring football. And that's where they are right now. But there is also still that question that uh, came up, I believe it was, yeah, it was back in February when he announced his coaching staff where he's going to spend time this spring. Still a work in progress. Okay. Still a work in, in progress. progress. But, again, I like – there's certain drills that I like to be a part of. I love it when, when our running backs and quarterbacks are doing run tracks and, and I may be able to be over there and, and kind of listen to them. And, um, you know, if everybody's just doing individual drills, yeah. I mean, obviously there's two ways I'm going to go. I'm going to kind of – be with the linebackers or look at the linebackers, which is my comfort zone or go to quarterbacks. They have the funnest drills. So I told Tommy it's going to be a lot of times where I'm coming to the quarterback drills just because it's fun. <laughs> Hanging out with the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are a good time. And and uh, you got Drew Pine, uh, you got Tyler Buckner over there, and, of course, you've got uh, the younger guys as well, Steve Angeli, the early enrollee, Ron Paulus, the third as well. Here's some thoughts from Marcus Freeman on his quarterbacks. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique group. Um, you know, you look at it and you got two guys that have playing experience. And, uh, you know, those are the two guys that are getting reps with the ones and Tyler and uh, Drew. And so um, it's going to be a great competition. But I've been spending a lot of times with the quarterbacks just as a whole and to try to continue to earn their trust, right, and then get to know them. And so it's a really, really unique group with, you know, Ron and uh, Steve. And they're, they're exceptional thinkers. That's probably something you've heard me say before, but they're extremely smart. I'm learning as a head coach to play the quarterback position is extremely difficult. They have a lot of pressure on their shoulders. And so I want them to know the head coach supports them and I'm with them. And I want to learn as much as they, um, you know, as much as on their plate, I want to learn it myself. And so um, it's going to be a great battle, right? It's, it's the challenge for myself, Coach Reese, is to make sure that we continue to create a room that has healthy competition. We continue to create a room that, you know what, everybody wants to be the starter. But these four guys in this room are, are my brothers and that, you know, whoever's on that field represents us all. Yeah, and so you've got, uh, you know, again, talking about the guys with the most experience. And it's crazy that Tyler Buckner, who was in Steve Angeli's shoes just a year ago, here he is now, and he's the most experienced guy in the room just in terms of snaps and Drew Pine had, uh, I guess, more extensive playing time in two games, but it was Cincinnati, Wisconsin, back-to-back. Buckner had his most extensive playing time when he came in for Jack Cohn at Virginia Tech. Remember that? But then they pulled Tyler Buckner. Cohn comes in, takes over. They go tempo. He leads the comeback and all that different stuff. But, again, because Buckner had uh, some snaps, even though they were small cameos, Spread out over the course of the season, he ends up with uh, a little bit more experience than uh, 
than uh, Drew Pine has. So uh, Buckner now the most experienced guy in that room. And and uh, as Marcus Freeman said, they're trying to create some healthy competition and spending a lot a lot of time there around those quarterbacks. And he's also overseeing a quarterback competition between Buckner and Pine for the first time. You know, I'm no quarterback guru, and I'm not afraid to admit that. And so my role as the head coach is to let those guys know, I understand how difficult a position you all are in. You know, use me as a resource to help you. That's why I spend every week we spend time together. We have quarterback meetings with just me and the quarterbacks because I want them to know I'm a teammate. I'm going to lean on Tommy Reese to, to talk about who's the starting quarterback. He's played the position. He's the offensive coordinator. He'll be able to come with with – um, grades and say, okay, hey, here's how I evaluated it. Here's who I believe at some point is going to be the guy that should be with the ones. And so I'll lean on Tommy more than anything for that. Leaning on Tommy Reese, and that's kind of been uh, the way that Marcus Freeman has gone from the get-go in terms of, you know, since he took over, giving a lot of control, autonomy, if you will, to Tommy Reese, whether it's the play calling and now in this quarterback competition as well and really setting up the offense. It's, it's quite a different difference of really from the last two head coaches Charlie Weiss uh, before Brian Kelly even those guys were guys with offensive backgrounds and they had their hands and their fingerprints all over the offense but it is going to be a lot different now I mean you know there were really times where you wondered just what the offensive coordinators under those guys were doing but the offensive coordinator is going to have a much bigger role now with an offensive-minded young head coach becoming a head coach here at Notre Dame for the first time. But uh, here's uh, some of what Marcus Freeman wants from his quarterbacks. Take care of the football, right? You have to take care of the football. You have to be able to put the football where it belongs. You have to be able to, to make sure the offense is in the right position to have success, make the right checks, the right calls. But also there's a leadership to it, right? It's the instant credibility of, hey, I'm the leader of the offense. And for most part, a lot of times, the quarterback's the leader of a team. Um, obviously, I believe in a quarterback that, yes, makes good decisions, but also has the ability to escape, right? And, and that's, we don't need a dual threat as much as a quarterback that's able to escape bad situations. And so um, that's the things I'm going to look for. Who's taking care of the ball? Who's making good decisions? Who's able to extend plays at times um, when the pocket maybe fails? Extend plays when the pocket breaks down you know basically you know like we saw that from Ian Book quite a bit you know just the fact that uh, you know sometimes too much but uh, he's just like he was saying you don't need a dual threat as much as escapability when the pocket breaks down someone who's not going to be a statue back there I mean you know there were obviously times that uh, we didn't see enough of that from Jack Cohn always finding that balance but the guys that he's got back there right now I think it's going to look a lot different with those two, whether it's uh, Tyler Buckner, who I think everyone pretty much thinks it's going to be, or it's Drew Pine. But we shall see as this quarterback competition uh, goes on. There'll be some practice this weekend open to the media, and uh, we'll see kind of what things look like out there as uh, spring practice continues. And uh, what is today? Today is the 23rd, exactly one month from today, the blue-gold football game at Notre Dame Stadium, and we will have that for you here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Some more Notre Dame football conversation with one Brian Driscoll. Jump into uh, Notre Dame football talk as always with him. And I got a couple other things I might bring up with him today as well. So that is coming up next. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers. 
Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this bunts for you. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim. Serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger. Serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And Wings Etc. Grill and Pub with 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today or order online at togo.wingsetc.com. Time out. Then Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. That is coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT Wednesday, Brian Driscoll Day, here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Didn't get That's to talk holiday, to you Monday. I, think I could get behind right there, man. <laughs> I, I like the sound of that. That's right. That's right. How you doing today? You staying dry? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah, missed you on Monday, man. I know. Had an exciting basketball game, though. So <laughs> heck yeah, I heard it was a really close game up until about tip off. Yeah, yeah that's that, exactly right. Ran away with it. It's <laughs> exactly right. It was. Uh, it was seven to five, Oklahoma. That was their biggest lead and their only lead <laughs> at mm-hmm. that point. So. Yeah. It was a lot of fun afterwards. So, yeah. If you're on the Notre Dame side, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which I am. I am yeah. always pro Notre Dame. Well, yeah, Dame. exactly. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to ask you this the story came out just before I was starting the show today. And it's not football related, but you know, we talk about coaches and you know, like Marcus Freeman's put together his first staff and all that different stuff. Dane Fife let go after one season on Mike Woodson's basketball staff at Indiana. And a lot of the fan and some media chatter that I have seen associated with this says, you know, maybe Dane Fife challenging the head coach too much in his first season. They were a little bit of an, of an, of an arranged marriage, it sounded like. You know, they had never worked before, that kind of stuff. And my, you know, and you've been on coaching staffs obviously, and you know, all that different stuff. My feeling is if an assistant is going to challenge the head coach, the head coach had better have a lot of trust in that assistant mm-hmm. uh, you know, and not feel like maybe there are ulterior motives at play. Yeah. And I'm kind of wonder, you know, curious like what you think about that kind of thing. I think in as assistant coach, you have to be very careful when you're working with a head coach that you've never worked with before. Especially when it's, you know, you're both, I believe they're both alums, right? Then Mike Woodson also yes. played Indiana. Yep. You know, I think that's, that's a really, that's a really kind of interesting line that you got to toe. I'm, I'm all for assistant coaches being able to challenge the head coach, but number one, it has to be a challenge that's being, that's being warranted or not warranted, but sought out by the head coach. I mean, you need to hire people that you know that you like you said that you trust mm-hmm. and give them the authority to say, "Hey, look, if I'm not if if I'm losing my way or if I'm doing what you know is not who I am or if you don't like this call or whatever else, I need you to challenge me." But there's a way a right and a wrong way to do it. And that also can play a role in that relationship is if that challenge is happening kind of out in front of the players or right. during games, that's not going to be okay for me. Yeah. Uh, that challenge needs to happen, you know, behind closed doors, or if you're up in the box. I mean, that's the one. You know, in football, that's an area where you can challenge a sure. head coach or a call. It's different. That's you're not talking on headsets, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
But, I, you know, I, I think especially if you get in these situations where maybe, like you said, it was a, an arranged marriage, so to speak, you got to be real careful that you earn that coach's trust before you start challenging him. Because what's going to happen is it's going to have the exact opposite effect of what you want it to have. And if I don't trust you and you're going to come at me with things that they are telling me you don't think I'm doing the job well enough or that I should do it, that's how I'm going to take it. It's mm-hmm. not that you're trying to give constructive criticism or how we can get this thing better. It's like you're, you're trying to undermine me or you're trying to challenge me or you're trying to question me. And whether it's right or wrong, you know, coaches have egos, right? We all do and in, in that business. And, and if you think someone's undermining you and challenging you, you're going to not handle that real well, understandably so. So I think you got to really, really – toe that line the right way especially in year one and then as you work well together and that coach knows me better and he knows hey this is just my personality and all that kind of stuff like I've had that problem before at at different jobs where just like you know I have a bit of an abrasive personality and I just kind (laughs) of speak my mind you know me well enough to know and I'm like I'm just trying to say something constructive but it can come across much more maybe aggressive than than maybe I intended right and and again that like that goes to the relationship if if the other guy Mm -hmm. or you know person is not familiar with sort of how you (laughs) communicate those kind of yeah they can take it in in completely the wrong way that's right absolutely and so communication is so important in so many different ways but if you're not seeking that type of communication then or or that type of input that's also going to make it to where like look dude i didn't ask you to tell me what you think about that i asked you to do this right i asked you to coach the quarterbacks or the receivers the d-line i didn't ask you to you know to do this this and this and if you don't have that kind of relationship that's going to be sort of the response you're going to get yep i agree i agree all right so um Oh, something else I wanted to ask you about before we talk more Notre Dame specific. All this talk about hand size with Kenny Pickett, the the former Pittsburgh quarterback getting ready for that. I'm curious what you think of that because you've also played quarterback before. Is it is it just completely overblown? Is there is there anything to it? What do you think about all this? You know, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. I I don't think it's overblown just by its just in just just dismiss it no matter what. I think it's certainly something that needs to be discussed, right? Because hand size has a lot to do with your grip, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, for some people, it, it, it impacts this. Like, so for me, for example, I, I don't have very big hands. I would imagine I, I would be at the bottom of the quarterback uh, combine chart when it comes to hand size. Well, for me, that was a problem because my hand size, I have bigger palms, so I have shorter fingers, if your hand size is a certain way because you have maybe a smaller grip but longer fingers, it may it may not impact you, right? We all don't have the same palm to finger ratio, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it, you know. But for some players, it, it can be impactful. So for me, I had a hard time throwing the deep ball, you know, throwing really like muscling up passes and throwing with zip when the ball was wet. I, I just for because of my hand size and the way that I gripped it, I had an issue. Michael Vick had incredibly small hands for a quarterback. I think like eight and a half inch hands. Oh, wow. It was never a problem for him because he has very strong hands and just the way the makeup of it. So you, when you see a hand size, it's like with anything else. Like, okay, I need to follow up on that. Then you pop in the film and you say, okay, this kid played in the SEC. He never had any rainy games. He played in really nice you know, weather, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, this could be a problem for me. But with Kenny Pickett, it's like the kid played in Pittsburgh. <laughs> His entire career, right? right. So right. give me every game that he played in where it rained 
and give me every game that he played in where there was heavy wind and then evaluate that. And if the film checks out and he's getting zip on the ball and he's throwing accurately and all those kind of things, then you say it's not a problem, right? And then if you're putting him through a workout, you do the wet ball drill and see how it, see how it pans out. So, you know, I think that's kind of how, that's kind of how I look at this whole thing. Like I, if you remember watching the, uh, the North Carolina pit game, it was pouring down rain the whole time. Uh-huh. He threw for 346 yards and three touchdowns and outplayed Sam Howell, you know, and, and, I didn't notice any throws that were beyond like, oh, gee, that looks like a guy with small hands, right? Sure. And, you know, so to me, it just it depends on the quarterback. For me, it was a problem. I, I bet you my hands are similar size to Michael Vick's. But for him, it wasn't a problem. He could throw in the rain. He could throw in the wind. He could do all that kind of <laughs> stuff. It was never a problem. It just – and you have some guys with bigger hands who the struggle when the ball is a little wet because of the way they grip the ball. So you just have to – you have to take it with, with, with as a part of just another data point that you need to follow up on, just like if a guy has a – you know, low wonderlick test or a guy doesn't run a great 40 or whatever else. Like, okay, let's follow up on this. Let's look at the film. Let's, you know, see what the film tells us. And, you know, somebody had a joke as an offensive lineman. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't know if a team like, you know, Kenny Pickett, you know, you, I don't know if he's going to be able to, to thrive in a, you know, an AFC North, you know, team like Pittsburgh, for example, making a joke, like the kid played in one of the worst weather areas in the nation right. and it was never a problem. He, I think he he's going to be played in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. Okay, so speaking of quarterbacks, let's shift mm-hmm. to some some Notre Dame. I was playing some of Marcus Freeman's comments about the quarterbacks and he said, "You know, I'm no quarterback guru, but he spends time with the guys each week to mm-hmm. to get to know them and all that." I'm what do you think about that the relationship that he's trying to build as a as a defensive coach with the guy, with those guys? It's vitally important. I mean, incredibly important. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to necessarily walk in there and start telling the quarterbacks what to do, right? Like, dude, you're, you're a linebacker's coach, right? Like, you're, you know, <laughs> I mean, I respect you as head coach, but, like, I don't really think you need to be critiquing my technique. And, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not right. – it, but some head coaches, like, hey, I know you. I've never coached a position, but I have a, I have a theory on how it should be coached. Like, oh, okay, shut up. <laughs> but you you can create some of that, but at the same time, you also need your head coach has to have a good connection to the quarterback, right? Like the quarterback has got to be in some ways the 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 advocate for the head coach and vice versa, right? Like if if the quarterback doesn't have the coach's back, if the quarterback's not buying into the message and those type of things, and that can be a problem. And one of the things I liked when we actually listened to the quarterbacks talk. When they spoke after what was it Saturday's practice? Right. Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner both quoted Mark uh, 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 something that Marcus Freeman says to the team. It was like one day, you know, one like one day, one one day, one life, or one play, one life, or something like that. I forget what it was, but it was like the fact that they like just off the tip of their tongues, they just both grabbed it and, and used it. It's like okay, they're that's a a good sign for me because you want them to say, hey, look, I got coaches back. We don't necessarily have to have the relationship where you're telling me about footwork and reads and stuff like that, but I need to know that you have my back, that you understand what I'm going through, what I'm doing, and whatever else. And then if the quarterback then supports the head coach, it's going to then kind of manifest itself down through the rest of the team. So I do think it's very important that Marcus Freeman has a, a good relationship with the with the quarterbacks without then stepping on Tommy Reese's toes because that's the other kind of – you know, danger zone to any, you know, head coach, yeah. quarterback coach, OC slash OC relationship. Uh, but, you know, and I, and I think the fact that he said, look, I'm not a quarterback guru right there. Like if, the, if there were, any, for example, any sort of uh, nervousness from Tommy Reese's standpoint that Marcus Freeman's coming in the quarterback room, 
listening, that right there is Marcus Freeman kind of saying, hey, look, let me let me bring the guard down, right? Let me let me take the, the, the electric fence you got around you down and let you know, like, I come in peace, right? You know, <laughs> And I think that's smart. I think that's smart and savvy. So uh, I, I liked what he had to say, and I love the fact that, you know, a couple days later we're listening to the quarterbacks just talking about, well, you know, Coach Freeman says this and Coach Freeman says that. I think that was that was a, a positive sign for me. Yeah, and I, I think that means that they're listening to him, obviously, as well, mm-hmm. and and right. they're not just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, coach, or whatever, you know, whatever. Because right. he's the leader of the team. Yeah, right. They need to be able to look at him as the leader of the team, and be able to look at Tommy Reese as the leader of the offense. Mm-hmm. So when Coach Freeman's talking about big picture stuff, I'm locked in. I'm zoned in. I'm like, I'm everything he has to say. I'm taking and I'm running with it. But then I'm also going here and, and listening to Coach Reese in the same way as he talks to me about, you know, what the nature of, of, of who we are going to be on offense, right? You need to be able to do both. And for this staff to really click together as 11 guys all on the same page, that, that has to – they have to make sure that they're on the same page. And then that's going to make it so much easier for the, pe- the players to accept the various roles of authority that each coach – because, you know, with quarterbacks it's only two, but like with offensive line – They've got three authority figures they have to listen to, the head coach, the offensive sure. coordinator, and the position coach, yeah. right? And everybody has to be speaking the same language and, and focusing on the same, the same big-picture things. And the head coach has to, you know, has to be a part of that. And I think it's also important, too, because he is a defensive guy, that Marcus Freeman doesn't come in and say, hey, listen, guys, I'm just the defensive guy. I'm your, he, he said from the very beginning, I'm your head coach, too, right? I need you to know that I'm here for you, too. It's going to be a lot easier for the defensive players to feel that way about Marcus Freeman because they know him. They've played under him. He's earned that trust and vice versa. With the offensive players, he's going to have to kind of go a little bit an extra mile to then create that same relationship because he needs to have all 85 scholarship players, all the walk-ons, everybody that's a part of the program has to believe that that's my head coach. Well, and that's, you know, he also talked about trying, you know, working to make this one team and not offense versus defense. Yeah, and you, I love that. Yeah, just I love that. Some more on that then. <laughs> it was so obvious that Brian Kelly was an offensive guy. Yeah. And, I mean, we could debate in a, in, a, in a show someday of maybe that's why the defense was always so much better the last five years than the offense. Yeah. That's, a, that's yeah. a different conversation yeah. for a different day, but – you know, I think that's important. You're saying I think one was, voice for the, you know that the defense had, and the you know the, the, right, the other exactly. guy was and Brian you know, Kelly. Too look, many voices we, we on the practices. other side. Yeah, right, Sean. We were practices. Sure. Brian Kelly was an offensive guy. It was clear he was an offensive guy. You know, he wasn't down there working with the defense, coaching the defense, and and you know they had their they had their guy, and it was you know Clark Lee or it was Marcus Freeman, and I think that's why there was such a bond to those defensive coordinators because they looked at him as like that's our head coach, you know. Uh, and, and I don't think Coach Freeman wants that. And I think he experienced that being the defensive coordinator of like, hey, look, we are kind of our own world. And, you know, I, look, I, I, you, know, you know me, Sean. I talked to a lot of different sources and all those type of things. And there was always a lot of when things wouldn't go well, there was always a lot of friction between the, the two sides of the ball. Well, we didn't do this because the defense didn't do this or the offense didn't do that. And you can't have that. And I think part of that was due to the fact that the head coach was considered an offensive guy. You know, and, and, and there would be times it'd be weird like – and especially in the last few years where like Brian Kelly would like bend over backwards to defend the offense. But anytime the defense had even remotely a bad game or a not a typical game, he'd, he'd, he'd bend over backwards to criticize them. Well, that, that's not just something I noticed. I'm just telling you that right now. It's not just something I noticed. And I think Marcus Freeman saw that. He saw the reaction of the players to that. 
and he's not going to make the same mistake with the offense that I think Brian Kelly made with the defense. So like I'm everybody's head coach, right? And we're we're all working towards the same goal. We're not going to win a championship because we have a great defense. We're not going to win a championship because we have a great offense. We're going to win a championship because we have a great offense and a great defense, and they're one team, and we're all working towards the same goal, and we all have each other's back. And I think that was a very important message to say. I mean, he got it got a little kind of weird with it with the fight conversation, but I understood what he was saying. You know, like, I'm not one of those coaches that wants to see guys fighting in practice. Hey, I'm with you. Amen. It right. was a little bit of a forced analogy, but the point was spot on. We're one team. We can't have one heartbeat if we're then two separate teams. One heartbeat. What are you, like, uh, you know, what was the movie of Matt Damon and um, uh, Greg Kinnear, right, where they were attached? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> was it like, stuck on you? Is that Stuck what it was? on you. That was great, right? <laughs> like, it's two people, one, you know, one liver, whatever. But, you know, if you're yeah. going to have one heart, then you need to be one body and one team right and it can't be offense and it's got to be you know get real theological with you you know and the trinity and all that other kind of stuff uh-huh. the point is you need to have one team one heartbeat one message and there needs to be a unity where hey look i'm battling you in practice today because i'm trying to make you better and i need you to make me better and vice versa as opposed to the adversarial nature that i think we saw at times in the past real quick we don't know who's doing what on pro day on friday i i think we, it would be Pretty shocking if Kyron Williams isn't running the 40 on Friday, though, wouldn't it? He needs to do a lot of things. I mean, yeah. none of his stuff was good. Yeah. I mean, really, none of his testing numbers were good. The only thing that we've heard is, and this isn't finalized, but we have heard that, Kyron, that Kyle Hamilton might run the 40, and then that's it, and then just not do any of the other testing. Yeah. But with Kyron Williams, he really needs to do a lot. I mean, his overall numbers were, were not good. The jumping numbers weren't good. The lift – the uh, the sprinting numbers weren't good. The, the change of direction stuff was good, but not what you I expected from him. So I'm hoping that that he does a lot more than just test, and I'm hoping that he does a lot better. Because the one thing they're not going to make him do at Notre Dame is wake up at five o'clock in the morning to start his day, and then not let him run till eight o'clock. Yeah, that's true. PM. That's true. You know, that's what Notre Dame won't do, which is what the NFL made him do. So hopefully, it's a good day. He needs it. Of all the guys that are working out this week, in my opinion, he needs it the most in regards to being able to really improve his stock and start letting the film do the talking again because right now it's the testing that's doing a lot of the talking. Yep. All right, what else is going on at irishbreakdown.com right now, Brian? Well, you know, I just published an article literally like five minutes before I came on the show where Ooh. it's kind of a, a fun look at like, you know, Notre Dame's like known as like O-line U or tight end U and kind of rank the offensive position groups of, of what's the most important positions that Notre Dame needs to be known as, you know, whatever position group U. And then we talked a little bit about 2023 recruiting and then a debate we had on our message board, which is who is the second best opponent on Notre Dame's schedule, Clemson or USC? Okay. I dive a little bit into that as well in my my midweek musings article. Sounds good to me. Find it at irishbreakdown.com. Brian Driscoll, I will, I guess, talk to you again next week. Can't wait. All right, sounds good. Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. We will take a timeout. We've got more Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up. Speaking of irishbreakdown.com, Vince D'Addario, who doubles for us and for Brian, will be in the 6 o'clock hour tonight as well. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT Men's Sweet 16 coming up tomorrow and Friday here on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Four games tomorrow, four games Friday. Of course, we're talking about the men's side. The women's uh, begins Friday. We won't have those games. We'll have men's coverage from Westwood 1 
tomorrow beginning a little bit after 7 o'clock. It is the West Region's number one seed, Gonzaga, against fourth-seeded Arkansas. Then in the South Region, about 20 minutes after the start of that first game, two-seed Villanova against 11-seed Michigan. In the West at 9.39, two-seed Duke, three-seed Texas Tech. And in the South Region, number one seed Arizona against five-seed Houston. That'll start right around 10 o'clock tomorrow night. And then Friday, we've got Jaden Ivey and Purdue, the three-seed against the St. Peter's Peacocks, the 15-seed in the East. That'll be the first game of the night at 7.09. 20 minutes after that, number one seed Kansas in the Midwest against four-seed Providence in the East, eight-seed North Carolina against four-seed UCLA at 9.39. And then in the Midwest at about 10 o'clock Friday night, 11-seed Iowa State, 10-seed Miami. So that's what the next couple of nights look like. And if you've listened to our coverage on Westwood One, you know they kind of uh, bounce around a little bit. You know you'll you'll hear about uh, twenty or thirty minutes of that first game, Gonzaga, Arkansas. Then they'll cut over to Michigan, Villanova for a little bit, and then they'll go back and you know then right into uh, the next game, Texas Tech, Duke. After that, so you know they kind of weave back and forth with a different play by play and uh, analyst crews there. So uh, that, that'll be what's going on the next two nights. And, of course, we'll have Elite Eight coverage over the weekend as well. And then Saturday, as far as the women go, Notre Dame against North Carolina State, the five seed and the one seed. Bridgeport, Connecticut, 11.30 a.m. tip-off Saturday morning. And we will have that over on our sister station live, 99.9 FM, the home of Notre Dame women's basketball i'll have the uh, call out there heading out the team is tomorrow to go to bridgeport and get ready for saturday morning's game and of course the host of the bridgeport region is connecticut they are the two seed and they will be taking on third seeded indiana so the notre dame north carolina state winner plays the indiana connecticut winner that game will be monday night sometime we don't have an exact time yet but uh, the winner of that game then will head to the final four Let's take a timeout. Sports Center update is coming up next. Vince D'Addario is also going to join me for Rapid Fire in the 6 o'clock hour. It's on the way on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with Sean Styers on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Hour two of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat and joined by one Vince D'Addario wrapping up baseball practice. Did you uh, get rained out at practice this afternoon? Oh, absolutely. And it was <laughs> – it, it, I went out to my car at about twelve, about 1.30, and I was like, man, it is beautiful outside. I know. This is great. <laughs> and then by – I think it was 3 o'clock, it was like the skies just opened up, and it was – just got pounded you know what i mean so i had already planned to be indoors we hit the weight room did some uh, conditioning things of that nature so uh all was not lost the problem is i think we're going to be inside tomorrow as well yeah so, yeah that's what stinks that's what yeah. but it's like once you the season taste. yeah i know and like you've been pretty lucky just with the weather you know just with what weather you have had so far i think haven't you i haven't oh, been around for you know the last few days but yeah yeah absolutely we had we actually had tryouts we had one of the stations for tryouts outdoors like that that doesn't happen yeah you know what i mean it, so it was it was fantastic we've had a few nice days we've been able to get outdoors and had really good practices and 
But once you get out there and you get that taste and you hit outside and you get to do long toss, all those fun things, and then you go back to the gym. Yeah, then it's, it's like it's depressing. The gym man. sucks. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Especially, you know, you've been in the gym all winter, and like you said, Ugh. you get that outside taste, and it's like you don't want any more of the gym. But yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Well, um, some news that came out just before the show started earlier today Dane Fife has been let go after one season on the uh, basketball staff at Indiana working for Mike Woodson of course who was in his first season they you know they had a little bit of an up and down season but won a couple games at the Big Ten tournament everyone was happy about that they made the NCAA tournament so right obviously everyone was happy about that but uh, here's the statement that Indiana released from Woodson today quote i'm committed to doing what i believe is best for the continued growth of our men's basketball program as we collectively work toward returning it to the upper echelon of college basketball sometimes that commitment can result in some very difficult decisions and that is the case today ultimately i believe that the fit must be right with the coaching staff and i've decided that a change is necessary i appreciate everything dane has done as a member of the staff during the last year and as a player for our program, he will always be a part of the Hoosier family, and I wish him well in his future pursuits, end quote. And that kind of adds to the layer of this because Woodson is obviously an IU guy and Dane Fife, um, an IU guy as well. He played at Indiana from 1998 through 2002, but uh, he's got a lot of college coaching experience. Mike Woodson, most of his experience uh, is the NBA. That's where he had spent the last right. several years before coming back to college but a lot of the fan and kind of media chatter that I saw around this says you know maybe five challenged or was challenging Woodson too much you know they had never worked together before this year you're obviously a coach you've been an assistant you're a head coach right now um and I think we've kind of talked a little about this before my mm -hmm. feeling is if an assistant coach is going to challenge the head coach, the head, the head coach better have absolute trust in the assistant coach and not feel like there are any ulterior motives at play. Right. You know, that kind right. of thing. So I'm curious your thoughts on this, if, if, you know, if that was indeed the case with, with Fife and Woodson. Because obviously what Woodson said there, not much specifics other than ultimately I believe that the fit must be right with the coaching staff. So let me so so what you're hearing from people and sources and all that fun stuff was he challenging the head coach like in front of the team or just behind closed doors Now that that I'm not sure about Okay because okay. especially yeah like you know again as an assistant if you're going to do it one on one with the coach I, it it didn't sound like it was that it sounded like there were more you know I read some things from media guys about, you know, Fife's body language during okay. games, you know, some yep. other things yep, yep, and, yep. you know, those okay. kind of things. Well, that that's an important distinction for me personally, because, you know, when you're an assistant coach and you, you dream of being a head coach and all of these different things, you dream about what kind of staff you would put together. And when I would do that, when I would sit back and I would think about the staff that I would put together, I want people that are going to challenge me. I, I want, I don't want a bunch of yes men. Like that is not the kind right. of staff that, that I would want to put together, but there's a time and a place for that. Right. I don't want, 
someone who's going to be on my staff. And when I make a decision in front of the team that they're automatically going to challenge me, that mm-hmm. is a no go. And that includes body language. Right. Okay. That, that's, that doesn't work. That does not well, work at all. And I know that. The and Hoosiers, if the media is reading body language, yes. I think that says a lot, right? That's a huge, huge problem. Yeah. And I know that Fife and Woodson were an arranged marriage. I heard you say that earlier on the show, and that's absolutely what they were. Fife felt like he was kind of the coach in waiting, and Woodson was there to kind of steer the ship in the right direction yeah. and then get things you know back to where they should be and then hand it off. And Fife was not chosen by Woodson, and I think that that automatically – now, it can work. It can work. Right. But I think that automatically – But again, what kind of relationship difficult. do they have along right. the way? And that's Absolutely. that's got to be a big part of it. It's Huge. You know, yeah, and that's the, that kind of – you know, like Brian and I talked a little – Brian Driscoll and I talked a little bit about it in, in the last – you know, and Marcus Freeman's put together a staff, and obviously, you know, you know right now he's got, you know, good vibes about all these guys or he wouldn't hire – but he was out – hiring his guys, you know, and uh, not to make it a part of that, but again, I just Oh, it's it but there's some there's a little bit of um is kind of an arranged marriage between Tommy and Marcus though, right? I mean, a little bit. I mean, they I they Somewhat, obviously both yeah. agreed that that would be a good fit, but it also sounded like from the reports that we're getting that if Marcus Freeman was going to be the head coach, then Tommy Reese needed to be the offensive coordinator. So it was kind of, I, I, I see True. the parallel. It, it, it def, definitely, you can see the parallel. Yeah. But e- this was even more drastic than that down in Indiana. Right. Right. And again, I, I, it probably wouldn't even be such a big deal if Fife didn't have, because like to me, Dane Fife is a more, known name than Mike Woodson, you know, because I wasn't around, (laughs) you know, like when, when would that have even been like the seventies and eighties when Mike Woodson was playing at Indiana, you know, Dane Fife is much more recent. And I think, you know, the name Dane Fife, uh, you know, at at least, you know, younger people between my age and your age probably know, knew more about Dane Fife than they knew about Mike Woodson coming in. But, you know, so again, like this wouldn't even be probably, such a, and I'm not saying it, it is a big deal, but it wouldn't even be as as newsworthy if Dane Fife didn't have the connection to Indiana. He played for both Bob Knight and Mike Davis in you know the late '90s and early 2000s. So I don't know. Really interesting to say the least that the, this lasted for you know just one season, and yeah. uh, they decided to part ways after one well, season. You know, and again, the fact that it yeah. is just one season that 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 to me you know, says more than, than just a fairly generic <laughs> quote and release that they issued today on this. Well, and it's interesting to see how long is Mike Woodson going to be there. I mean, I think we can all agree that he's probably on the latter end of his career as a coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was an interesting hire in the first place. Uh, but if you're going to go head-to-head with somebody, the head coach is probably going to win most of the time. I don't – Right. It probably wasn't the best move on Dane Five's part. Um, because if he thought he was ever going to be the head coach at IU, that's probably well, not going to happen now. And whether it's right or wrong, you know, it would be one thing if, you know, because again, going back to the trust factor, it would be one thing, it, you know, talking about challenging your head coach and, and those kind of things. If, if Mike Woodson had brought a guy with him from the NBA who he had worked with for a long time, you're going to, he's going to feel more comfortable receiving whatever 
he's receiving. But if we're talking about, you know, because there was some talk about decisions Mike Woodson made along the way and, and, you know, maybe because of his inexperience, it cost him and that kind of stuff. But if you're Indiana and you're bringing in Mike Woodson with relatively little experience, you know, he had some, you know, some interim experience, but again, it was the NBA, you know, there are going to be some bumps along the way and you're going to have to live with some of that. And, but, but Mike Woodson as a head coach coming back to a higher profile place, like, like Indiana, he's a head coach. Now he wants to do it his way, whether it's right or wrong, he's got to be able to do it the way he wants to. And again, if, if you're going to just going back to what you were talking about, you want to be challenged, but at the same time, there's got to be a level of trust there. You know, if, if you're going to have somebody challenge you and there's a time and place for, for whatever challenges might take, might take place. And those are not out in public view. It, that's exactly. And that's, that's Absolutely. a non-negotiable, I think. Once you step out on the practice court field, whatever, or the game quarter field or whatever, you have to be on the same page as a coaching staff. You right. absolutely have to, even if, even if as an assistant coach, you're faking it, right? You right. have to be on the same page. You have to toe the company line. And then when we get behind closed doors, please challenge me. I want to be challenged because I don't have all the answers, right? I mean, I want the kids to think I have all the answers, <laughs> but I, but I don't have all the answers. That's why I, and that's what I would tell my assistant coaches. This is why I brought you here because you compliment me in ways that I'm weak, right? And that's why I want you here. You're part of this. We're doing this as a group. At least that's how I coach, right? I right. Mean, so that's how I would put together a staff. And obviously it wasn't working down at IU. And you know what? Touche to, to Coach Woodson for making a change, frankly. I, I think it is obviously needed. And he's going to get somebody in there who at least understands his philosophy and what he wants to do. And that's what you have to do from your number one assistant. Absolutely. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we will uh, buzz into some rapid fire. We've got some Notre Dame football. We've got some NFL. We've got uh, something Muffet McGraw was talking about. We've got all kinds of different stuff coming up on on rapid fire. We've even got some baseball in there. We're going to cover a lot of the bases. Coming up on rapid fire on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Along with Vince D'Addario, we've got a lot of different topics for us to get to tonight. Fill in the blank on this first one. We had more craziness in the NFL today. (laughs) Tariq Hill getting traded from Kansas City to the Dolphins. This NFL offseason has been blank been crazy i mean I, all off seasons like or i shouldn't say all the most recent off seasons have been just kind of nutty because you know you've got quarterbacks jumping all over the place you know franchise type quarterbacks right i mean russell wilson matt ryan exactly you, got, you know tom brady going into retirement coming out of retirement um you know you got carson wentz leaving the colts and going to the commanders or whatever they're called out there um <laughs> it's just it is. It's absolute. And then this Tyreek Hill thing. I mean, the Chiefs wanted him to stick around, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go to the Dolphins to lose." Like, I don't really <laughs> understand that at all, frankly. Um, but whatever. He wanted to get his, and he got his, he got his money. That's for sure. So, um, just the, all the movement has been just absolutely crazy. Seeing guys in different uniforms. It just as a fan of the NFL. 
you could be terrible one season and then be really good the next season just because of trades and, and free agency. I, it just so many guys moving and in, in different uniforms is just – it's nutty to me. It's no, just absolutely nutty. That, that was the word I was going to use, nuts. It is just yeah. nuts because just as you rattled through – and it seems like it kind of started with Tom Brady and his move, I guess, last – Offs, you know, or two off seasons ago, going, yeah, you know, from, right. from New England to Tampa, just all these big names, and really, you know, and I don't know if that was truly the domino that started the whole thing. It's you know, like Tom Brady kind of asserting his power and and getting Tampa to bring in all these guys. Russell Wilson wanted more than he was getting in Seattle, and there was you know talk last season that it could happen. It didn't. He played. They got worse, and so he really kind of forced his hand there, all the Aaron Rodgers stuff, but then ultimately staying put. And what's crazy there now is with De- with Devontae Adams leaving Green Bay, you know, like, okay, Aaron Rodgers, you got your money, but what do you have for weapons there? And then Adams going to the Raiders, uh, you know, what are you really going to get with Carr? But Adams set the market, and he got all this money, and that's what Tyreek Hill decided he wanted and you know maybe Kansas City could have paid him but it wasn't just enough for Tyreek Hill to get I think he was going to make like three and a half million or something like that this year it wasn't enough just to get 15 million or he wanted to top Devontae Adams right money and right. that's what this whole thing came down to so the Dolphins just you know first round pick second round pick and you get a fourth and you get a fourth. you know all these picks that they're giving back to Kansas City Kansas City loses a great weapon, but I think I would have done it too with with all that they get back oh. in exchange for for one guy that's a wide receiver. You know, I would have absolutely done it because Tyreek Hill is a piece to the Kansas City puzzle. Is he an important piece? Absolutely. He's faster than lightning. There's no question. But if he's your only weapon, and I'm not saying he's the only weapon down in in Florida, but or in Miami, well, they do have Devontae Adam or not Devontae the. Uh, the uh, former Alabama receiver. I can't right, think of his right, name. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Number 17. Um, yeah. But anyway, Just keep I, going. I agree I'll, with you. I'll figure it out. Yeah, but they don't have, they don't have the trigger puller uh, that Kansas City has, and they don't have the winning culture that Kansas City has. And, you know, again, he wanted to be the guy that made the most money, and he got that. Jalen Waddle. There you go. I just don't see them winning down there. I just, I just don't. And... I would have stuck around to be a piece of a bigger puzzle. That's what I would have done. But I, you know, the wide receivers, they got egos. They want to be the best. They want to have, yeah. you know, but I, I just, I would rather have Devonte Adams, for example, than Tyreek Hill. Yeah. He's faster, but he's not as polished of a wide receiver. Yeah. See, and I think he goes, he goes better with a guy like Patrick Mahomes because he's a busted play kind of, receiver he's not a precise route runner and all that exactly he's he's speed and he can make plays in the open field I don't know that that Tua is going to be able to necessarily you know capitalize on that but the Dolphins gave up a lot to get him another you know not only do you give up all those draft picks but the money they're going to have to pay now for that contract as well you know that's man that's that's a steep price because like we were originally Before this trade came out, when the reports came out that he wanted out, we were going to talk about whether or not the Colts should be willing to make a move for for him. And if it was just the money, I could see 
paying a guy like Tyreek Hill if you're the Colts because that's what they're lacking, you know, a real playmaking receiver. But giving up all those draft picks and then having to pay $20 million plus a year on top of that to, to keep him, that's just too much for my blood. Absolutely. So, At, they, they're leveraging their future on – a guy that's just really fast, yeah. right? And and I definitely would not have done that. I did the, the Chiefs just raided the store, man. They, they did yeah. a great job, and and they're. I'm not saying that you can replace Tyree Kill, but you might be able to do it in the aggregate with all those draft picks. Yeah, I think so as well. You know, because now they've you know they they get a first round pick, they get a second round pick this year alone, and they've already got their own first round pick. So you know they're going to be able. To stop. And there are still some pretty good receivers out there on the market as well. Will Fuller's out there as an example. I'll be curious to see where he goes. You know, one thing with him is can he stay healthy? Injuries. But yeah, yeah, at the same time. So he's a free agent. I know he was yes. down in Miami. But yep. Okay. Yep. He is. He is. All right. Let's move on. Muffet McGraw tweeted this last night Quote, Could we talk about regionals? They're supposed to be at neutral sites. I know the attendance hasn't been great, so let's try something new. But holding a regional at someone's backyard every year, that has to change, end quote. And she's talking, she's basically subtweeting the Bridgeport, Connecticut women's regional this weekend. North Carolina, North Carolina State is the number one seed in the Bridgeport, Connecticut region. But of course, the two seed is UConn, who's the host. And that's what she's referring to, holding it in someone's backyard. So Vince, do you buy or sell what Muffet is saying? No, I buy it 100%. I, I realize women's basketball, and she mentioned it, like it, attendance isn't great. I, I totally understand that, but it there should be a benefit of being the number one seed. And I realize there you have to plan these things in advance and all, and all of that, but there should be a benefit to being a number one seed. You yeah. should be able to have you should be able to have that regional in your own backyard if the number one seed makes it out. And if they don't make it out, then the next highest seed you get to host. And I'm sorry, but it's not hard to host a basketball, you know, regional. Like <laughs> right. They can figure it out. I mean, these are all athletic departments that have hosted big games before, right? And you have contingency plans in case that's you that has to do it. And then you, you put the – I mean, you got a week, essentially, to, to plan for it, right? So I, I think that it should be – like, if you're worried about attendance – Okay, whoever a number one seed is going to be, they're going to bring people. They're going to put butts in seats. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm telling you, if you're a number one seed, you should be able to host. It should never go to anybody below a number one seed unless that number one seed gets knocked out. And on top of that, that rarely happens in the women's tournament, if I'm not Very mistaken. true. Very true. I mean, in, in the women's tournament, more number ones make it through, or at least you know ones and twos, you know, tend to make it through. But more number ones than on the men's side. And you know, like I'm looking at the men's bracket right now. Arizona's the one seed in the South. Kansas is the one seed in the Midwest. And you know, Kansas is going to Chicago, which isn't far from Kansas, but it's also not necessarily that's far you enough. Know, close either. Yeah, that's right. You're still talking about you know like an eight nine hour drive. You know, to get up there, you know, Gonzaga is the number one seed in the West, and uh, Baylor was the one seed in the East. But in and on, and on the men's side, they only guarantee the number one seed's proximity, which is what you're talking about. But time and again, what's the NCAA concerned about? They're concerned about the cash flow, and so they have no problem doing something like this 
where even though UConn is not the number one seed, they have no problem because they know that with UConn being there, they're going to put butts in the seats and they're going to sell tickets. And that's what Muffet is talking about. Now, you know, of course, some UConn fans brought up the fact, well, Notre Dame hosted a regional a while back and, and won the regional and all. Okay, that's that's fine. But she's talking about where the game is now and where it needs to be going. And I, I, you know, I completely agree with what you said. Now, Deb Antonelli, who's a TV analyst, she's done some men's and women's games. In fact, I, I believe she was doing um, some men's games last weekend for CBS. But she says her idea is just have the Sweet 16 in one city, you know, like Las Vegas, you know, something like that. Or maybe even, you know, maybe it's even Bridgeport. I don't know if Bridgeport structurally is big enough to host, you know, all 16 teams and fan bases and all that. But what would you think about that, you know, kind of as an alternative because of the fact that it is still harder for the women's game to sell tickets? You've already got the Final Four in one city. What would you think about the entire Sweet 16 being in one city? I actually really like it, Sean. I think it's a really good idea. I mean, you're talking, what, eight, eight games to start, and then you narrow it down to four games. Yeah. Um, and I think that's – I think that makes a lot of sense, to be perfectly honest with you. You put it in a big – you put it in a destination city like Vegas. There's a lot of people that just want to go to Vegas anyway, and you yeah. watch a little basketball while you're out there, and I think that you would gain – or gainer wow garner <laughs> the interest of people that are already out there as well um you know they don't have um you know really good college basketball out there to my knowledge i don't think unlv is lighting the world on fire right and they don't have a pro team out there just yet yeah so you know you bring basketball like that really good basketball if it's the sweet 16 i think that's a fantastic idea destination city one place hosting all these games i think it could be a lot of fun and i think attendance would be fine as well and yeah you you get to play in a big stadium uh type atmosphere as well so I, I think it's a great idea because it's still march as well so the weather's still trying to you know get get better you know the weather theoretically so it's nicer in vegas than yeah. it is in a lot of places <laughs> exactly in the country. exactly or you know like even even phoenix or you know someplace <laughs> warmer like that or, you know the city's got to be big enough obviously you've got to have enough sure. hotels for 16 teams and staffs and fan bases and all that stuff vegas would be a draw like what you're talking about because it is a destination there are other things for people to do once they get there you know like cities in in florida for that matter again you know like phoenix or you know even dallas or san antonio hosted the entire women's tournament last year and i actually heard holly Rowe talking recently about how she thought it wouldn't even be a bad idea for one city like San Antonio to host the entire tournament. Now, that might be going a little bit too far, but you know, yeah. again, if we're trying to if we're trying to bring this this idea of neutral sites to the women's game, which which the the men have. Now, every once in a while you're going to get because the number 1 seeds in the men's game if they get there, they are you know, guaranteed better proximity you know, based on you know east, west, midwest, south, based on and that, their region. And that's okay. That's right. okay because you earned it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, and, and But I agree. It's like if you're the two seed, if it ends up being Connecticut and North Carolina State playing for the championship, why should the lower-seeded team have a home court advantage? It, it just makes no sense to me. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think I do like the first round, the first and second round being at host sites. I, I don't really have an issue with that mm-hmm. because those teams earned it. You know what I mean? And there there should be, you know, especially in the women's game where it's, it is more difficult for attendance. I get that. And so you should be able to host if you are a top four seed or whatever. The, I think it was top four, right? Um, yeah. If you're top four, you get to host. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I mean, Notre Dame beat Oklahoma. They were a host school. Beat them on their own floor, right? So right. Um, that's definitely a possibility. So I have no problem with that. I think the Sweet 16 in one place makes a lot. Because you got four games on like Friday, four games on Saturday, then two on Sunday, and two on Monday. Yeah. Very doable in one arena. Very doable. Yeah. And like from a coaching standpoint, for that matter, it gives – Gives all the coaching staffs the ability to go out and scout in person if they want yeah, to throughout that point. that whole event, not just rely solely on film. And everyone would have the same advantage, you know, where yes. where everyone is right there. I, I think it would be a great idea to 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 just do, you know, so you'd have all the Sweet Sixteen in one city, and then the next weekend you'd have the Final Four in another city. I mean, for that matter, if you wanted to, you, you could, could do it keep everything right wanted. there and people just, yeah, rather than flying back and forth, you could just stay there for an extra week, you know? Yeah. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I got to say. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, which means the NCAA will never go for it. Probably not a chance. So. It'll never happen. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, we'll jump to the men's side. We've got men's sweet 16 starting tomorrow over the next couple of days. Which one seed is going to have the best chance to make the Final Four and which of the double-digit seeds might have a chance to continue their run toward the Final Four? We'll do that and more when Rapid Fire continues next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat rolls on with Rapid Fire with Vince D'Addario, Sean Styers. We've got Men's Sweet 16 starting tomorrow just after 7 o'clock here on WSBT. So Vince, which number one seed do you give the best chance to get to the final four? Gonzaga, Kansas, or Arizona? Three number one seeds left in the Sweet 16 right now. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, just looking at the bracket, right? And this is really, and I full disclosure, this is the first time I've really studied the bracket. Okay. Um, it, it just, it's bad timing. But Looking at the way things have gone down, and I have watched a bunch of games, uh, but looking at the way things have gone down, obviously the West is chalk, so you would figure that that's going to be the toughest place for Gonzaga to get out, even though they're the number one overall seed. But they, they're still all top four seeds in the West. Yep. Um, the East obviously doesn't matter because there's no number one seed left over there. That one is just nutty down there. <laughs> um, the the South, you've got you know Michigan that has pushed its way into the Sweet 16 at a, as an 11, and then Houston as a five. Eh, okay, I, Sean, I think it's the Jayhawks. I think it's your boys down in Kansas <laughs> because if they can get past Providence, they're either going to have Iowa State as an 11 or Miami as a 10. I know. They got a great shot of getting to the Final Four, baby. Go Kansas. I'm telling you, it's a little bit scary looking at it. Bill Self is also eight and two in the Sweet 16 in his time at well, Kansas. So they have they have done exceptionally well. You know, there have been times when they've been knocked out in in the first or even second round, but once they get to the Sweet 16, they've done very well. There are a lot of people who still feel like. They could win a championship. I don't know. You know, it's like I, I, yeah. I just like I look at this team and I'm like, well, it's not as good as nearly as good as the team two years ago when there wasn't a tournament because of the pandemic. 
better than last year, better than some recent teams, but I've just got enough doubt about them. But I just think, <laughs> I just, I, 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 I still think Gonzaga is a little bit suspect. They potentially would, you know, one. I think Arkansas is a good team, and they're they're kind of an interesting one that I'm looking at right now. And uh, and then you know they potentially got to go through Duke or Texas Tech. Duke, you know, yeah, I so think Duke is going to be a tough one. I know, and I, I just I, I feel like Duke is kind of they're 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 kind of riding that. Coach K, you know, can they push him to the Final Four and all that? And I've, I've never really been sold on Arizona, either. So watch Arizona get out there. And that Houston team has been pretty <laughs> impressive so far. So yeah, I'm like yeah, you, I'm like you, I, because of the path, uh, Providence, and then either Iowa State or Miami. I think I like, I, I like Kansas chances a little bit better as well. So, scary, isn't it? I know. Scary, scary that it's your team that um, has the chance, man. <laughs> I know. So, which of the double-digit seeds do you give the better chance to reach the Final Four? 15-seed St. Peter's, 11-seed Iowa State, 10-seed Miami. Well, you know, I, I would love it to be St. Peter's, but I do really like the Jaden Ivey-Purdue team. I, yeah. I, I think that they're going to be a really – I think. I think St. Peter's Cinderella run is is going to end uh, against Purdue, so I don't think it's going to be them. Um, and so now you've got uh, what Michigan, Iowa State, and Miami, right? Yes. I will never pick Michigan ever, ever for anything. <laughs> so that they're out. Oh, that's right. I, I left I left Michigan out of that list. You're right. I, I, it doesn't matter because they, they weren't on my You're not going to pick I, Michigan. I'm not, okay. I'm not, I'm not going with Michigan, so that's definitely not happening. Um, and so I will, I will actually say Miami. I like what Miami um, has done so far. I mean, they put a whooping on Auburn. I mean, just <laughs> whooped them 79-61, mm-hmm. right? So um, I, I like where Miami is. And, you know, I'll throw a little uh, love to the ACC since uh, <laughs> they're, they were a very down uh, – conference this year so um i'll give a little love to miami you know what it's funny you're you you, you said you're never gonna pick michigan that's my pick because again i'm not <laughs> sold on arizona i had tennessee going to the final four out of that region and michigan knocked them off so i've got to go with michigan as my okay. uh, my double digit seed with the best chance of getting to the final four as crazy as that sounds and of course that's a lot of a, a team a lot of people said should have been playing in a playing game or even not in the tournament at the yeah. start of the tournament but here they are here they are speaking of basketball all right when a basketball player shoots a three-pointer do you say he's shooting a three or do you say it's a jumper or a jump shot you know, I, there's got to be a reason that you're asking me this question. There is, I'm and do you want I'm me to just go ahead and explain well, it before you answer, or do you want to go okay, ahead? Okay, that's uh, either way. <laughs> my answer is not going to change either okay. way. So I'm I'm interested in the backstory here. Well, watching a lot of basketball, especially this weekend, but during the season as well, there are a handful of announcers who I hear, you know, just say jumper or jump shot, and it's. To me, it's not a jumper or a jump shot. It's specifically a three-pointer. If you're shooting a three-pointer, 
almost you know like 99% of the time by definition it's a jump shot because of the you know <laughs> right. the distance and you've got to elevate you know very few times do you see a guy shoot a set shot out there from three point range but it is a three pointer it is a specific kind of of shot so to me just saying jumper or jump shot you're you're not describing it the right way and it annoys the heck out of me when i hear and there are a handful of specific and i'm not gonna you know necessarily call them out they're they're good announcers but that's like one thing that that just bugs me about the way they say it it you just it's it's a three-pointer it's not a jump shot that's very interesting because i have not heard anybody do that and i would i would feel the same way that you do because as i'm so i judge play-by-play guys based on what they would do on the radio Okay. Okay. Because I want you to paint the picture for me. And if if a radio play-by-play guy says a jumper or a jump shot, that's inside the three-point line as I'm imagining the game. See, and maybe being that's played. Maybe that's how I think of it as a radio guy. Because yeah, because if all I'm saying is jumper, then I'm completely missing that's, the description. Yeah. Exactly. It's inside the three-point line, no question about it. And a three-pointer is a three-pointer. I would never, ever, ever describe a three-point shot as a jumper ever because that does not describe what is taking place. I'm sorry. That does it is not descriptive enough for me. Good and point. so that falls very much into the category of announcers that say RBI instead of RBIs. <laughs> so. See, and you know, maybe that's you know, maybe in defense of these guys, because they are TV guys, they're not doing them you know, on maybe that's why they have fallen into the habit because they don't have to describe it as a three pointer because they're relying that we can see it. Yeah, I guess I don't but know. But still, but still, it just drives. Like I said, it's it like it, it it makes me cringe every time yes. I hear it. It's a three pointer. Absolutely, the way you describe your feelings about that the three point thing is the way I feel about the RBI. <laughs> every time somebody, oh, he had thirteen RBI. What? I agree. No, uh, We're, oh, we that, agree on that. <laughs> I'm cringeworthy. That, that's cringeworthy for me. I, yeah, yeah. Because that should be runs batted in, right? So that should, it should be RBI. Then, if that's the way that you're going to talk about it, exactly. If you're not going to pluralize RBI. Then it should be RBI. Yeah, that's how we're going to do it. That's so, exactly right. That's I, exactly right. Just, if if they want to be that particular about right, it. I agree. That, oh, that that bugs me big time. Yep. Speaking of baseball. Did you see that uh, they're going to bring back the runner at second base in extra innings this season? Boo! <laughs> Boo! I was so happy when they came to the agreement that they were going to do away with that. And now they're bringing it back. I know. Terrible decision. Terrible, terrible, terrible decision. I hate it. I I'm hate not. It. I'm not a fan. You know, I feel like... You know, my son played travel ball, and that was always a travel ball thing. It's like you get into extra innings, and they're trying to keep the games moving along, so you put a runner at second base and all that kind of stuff. I remember my son got an RBI once, and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you start out with a runner at second, and it's almost like it cheapens the RBI when you're you're starting with a runner at second base. Terrible. That's not baseball. I know. I'm sorry. That's not baseball. It's like – positioning a basketball player under the basket you know and having him cherry pick that's right you know i i just i'm i'm sorry that is not the way the game is played you got to get on base if you want to score i this i don't like it i was so happy when they were going to do away with that i don't know why they went back apparently they're uh, bringing it back only for this year because of the whole shortened spring training and they've expanded rosters and done this 
stuff. Ooh, you know? terrible. I don't, I don't know. Terrible. I'm, I, oh, I'm, I'm very annoyed by that. Very, very annoyed by yeah, that. I'm I, not quite as uh, vehement as you are. I don't. I, I, I haven't really. You know, I didn't. I'll say this. I didn't like the rule when they were going to adopt it. I understood during the pandemic because of all the different. You know, I get that too. Different. I get it. Yeah. Things. I do. I do kind of like the fact that you don't have these marathon games that you used to have. That's the only thing that I like about it. But it's still. It's just. You know, like I said, it's more like little league travel ball <laughs> kind yes. of stuff than major I league mean, baseball. <laughs> we don't do that in high school. You know what I mean? That's true. So That's very I, true. I, I, I just don't like it. I'm sorry. The other rule is if a pitcher is in the lineup, like if he starts the game as the designated hitter, he can stay in the game as the DH even after he is removed as the pitcher. So he would become the DH, and then you can just bring a guy in from the bullpen who is pitching from that spot what do you think about that one I I mean basically first of all I I like the rule we've had it in high school baseball for the last couple of years um and which makes a lot of sense because the pitcher is usually one of your better players who you want to keep in the lineup offensively and so you can save their arm by not putting them at shortstop or something like that yeah um so I like that rule, but basically in Major League Baseball, though, it's like it feels like the Shohei Otani rule. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. does it really apply to anybody else besides him? I mean, are, are, how many pitchers out there are going to be starting pitchers are going to be the DH? Like, I don't see that being yeah. effective for anybody else but LA. No, that is exactly right. That's <laughs> that. That's exactly who I think they created this rule for i don't know how much the uh the angels maybe lobbied for this but oh, you know i guarantee I, they did i know there have been you know like in the minor leagues some some guys who were two-way guys in college and stuff like that supposedly there are a few of them like the mckay kid from uh was drafted from louisville by tampa a few years ago he hasn't you know made much of a dent in the big leagues yet but there there's some others but Shohei otani is definitely the most high profile of them. So right. I've got no problem with it, but you're right. Yeah. It's like you're basically making a rule for one guy. So yeah, exactly. Hey, absolutely correct. All right, Vince, that is going to do it for tonight. Enjoy your next couple of days and I will talk to you Friday. Sounds good. Rain, rain, go away. That's right. Come again another day. Vince D'Addario, Sean Styers, Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We're brought to you by Budweiser, Midland Engineering Company, Tim Ground State Farm Insurance, Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, the Mishawaka Education Foundation, and Wings Etc. Grill and Pub. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 